iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we look ahead to the big relegation battle incoming on the final day of the Premier League season. Will Leeds United secure a victory against Spurs? Leicester City take on West Ham and Everton, who face Bournemouth at Goodison Park. What would it mean for each of these teams to drop out of the Premier League? We'll talk about Newcastle United's achievement in reaching the Champions League. What does it mean for the football club this summer? Will they go big? Arnie Slot isn't going to be the new Spurs manager. Where does Daniel Levy turn to next? And we'll look ahead to the playoff finals at Wembley Stadium this weekend. This is The Game. Hello again. You're listening to The Game Podcast with myself, Hugh Wozencroft, alongside Jonathan Northcroft, uh, Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson. As we look ahead, we're finally here. The end of a long, long road to the last game of the season. Um, fatigued, a, a lot like the players. You know, I've got I've got muscles that have been pulled. Really, I'm, I'm seeing the masseuse every day, just trying to get through it. The vocal cords are gone as well. We're on the the honey lemon. It's just it's been arduous. You know, Qatar, the World Cup. I feel what the players are feeling. That's the only way I can sum it up. Okay, and mentally, that's the toughest thing getting over the line this weekend. You know, the emotion that comes with it as well, of course, as we head into the main focus will be, of course, the relegation battle this weekend. Since we last spoke, Leicester City got themselves a valuable point up at Newcastle United. Um, Listen, it wasn't an expansive attacking approach from Dean Smith, but they did get their first clean sheet since November and it gives them a chance going into this weekend. They're in the drop zone, one game to go. They know that even a victory at home to West Ham might not keep their top flight status. Uh, Everton winning at home to Bournemouth on Sunday will condemn the 2016 Premier League champions to the championship for the first time since 2014. Leeds need to beat Spurs and hope that Everton are beaten. So it's a huge final weekend at the bottom. Johnny, let's start with Leicester City. Will it be a hugely motivating draw at Newcastle United? Will it give them much hope? I I think it will, actually. Um, I think they found something at Newcastle, something different uh, that that they hadn't shown for a long time. And as you said, it's the first clean sheet in a long time. But they also there was just there was just a resilience, um, a, a sort of focus and organisation there um, that hadn't been there before. It almost looked like a team that belatedly, very belatedly, does realise what it's up against uh, and the need to fight. Um, and the point just gives them. I mean, I mean, everything's so relative at this point of the season for for the relegation threatened teams. So you talk about a point giving somebody momentum. Uh, it's just a point, but the margins are so tight that you know Leicester went into that Newcastle game with a lot of supporters um, thinking, "Well, look, we're done here. We're getting it nothing at St James's Park, and that'll put us in a terrible situation on the last day." And just that point gives a psychological um, impression that there's some momentum there, uh, a, a boost, and and what it crucially does is it 
it asks a question of Everton. And I think that's all, all, all Leicester could really, really hope to do. They weren't going to win at St. James's. So they've, they're asking a, a question of, of, of Everton and in a funny way, I think, can go in on Sunday feeling that the, the pressure is on someone else. Um, and if they can if they can take care of their game, uh, let's let's see what Everton can do. So I, I'm trying to check myself because obviously I live in Leicester. Uh, I want the club to do well. I, I'm trying to ask: Am I being slightly? Is this a bit of cognitive bias here? I don't. I don't think so. I, I I think looking at previous relegation battles, as I say, even a small result at this point um, can can change things for a team, um, and. I think they've given themselves a chance. I'd still be betting against it, but it's a much more close bet than it would have been uh, before that trip to St. James's. Johnny, I think you are being biased, I'm afraid. I love you dearly, but I think you are. <laughs> oh. only, only on the idea that they've, you know, that, that Newcastle game gave them something. I just think so so often, and this isn't exclusive to them, you know, you think about that run of games that Smith had, that, that win against Wolves and then two mm. draws. And I remember watching the Everton game and we talked about it on the podcast afterwards that... You know, I, and I said the same thing. That's the only reason I'm digging you out here because I said the same thing. I feel like Leicester have got a bit of momentum, and then it gets smashed by Fulham. So that that would be my only concern about what you said is that the idea that they've got something to go into this game. This has been the point with this relegation scrap all season, hasn't it? We, just when we think a team has got something, they go and show that they've not got anything at all. So that would be my worry with Leicester. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, that that that, that I, I take that, Tom. I I think maybe to to sort of phrase it better maybe it didn't give them something but they stopped being something and that was feckless it's the first game that they weren't feckless for a long long time even even when they got that win against wolves it wasn't it was a scruffy win they they they, they were a bit loose um this was the first game they actually tightened up uh that they they absolutely focused for 90 minutes on 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 the job that they had. I haven't seen that from them in such a long time. So maybe that's a little thread of hope that I'm clinging to. Well, I hate to say that Dean Smith listens to the podcast, but, but maybe he does because I can't remember who it was. One of us said, you know, close the gaps, be more compact, don't give your your opposition any space to play in. And lo and behold, they rock up at St. James's Park and keep a clean sheet. Ultimately, I watched that game and I thought this is three games too late. You know, they needed an identity change. They still thought if we just get back to being, if we just get back to being that team that finished fifth or back to the team that won the FA Cup, we'll be fine. That will be fine mentality. Um, even funny enough, thinking of James Madison after they'd been beaten by Southampton for the second time this season, saying if we play like that, we'll be fine. You know, there wasn't a recognition from Leicester City. I think for quite some time of just the level of trouble that they were in. I think a lot of us also, to be honest, were looking at them saying they'll be fine. They've got enough good players. You know, if they just click an attack, they'll score enough goals and they'll get out of it. Ultimately, this identity switch that's come in the last game that we saw get a huge point at Newcastle United. You think had they been in this mode for a lot longer, they probably would have got the wins that they needed to get themselves out of this. The only thing is that, I mean, Dean Smith started his time at Leicester by throwing loads of attacking players on the pitch. Remember he started, we were saying, he's fit like four strikers in, in, in the yeah. starting 11. Um, and we were kind of praising him for that because that's their strength. Of you know, Constantly all season we said, Leicester have got goals. They've got lots of creative players and they've got players who can score goals. So, you're, you know, we could say that he's he's come to this a little bit late because it is a shift. Undoubtedly, Harry Suter came back in and was huge for them. Um 
But ultimately, it's always been about the balance, and Leicester have never been able to get that balance right all season in terms of keeping it tight enough at the back and allowing their their goal scoring and creative players to 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 express themselves. It's going to be a tough one at home to West Ham United, but I do feel like Leicester will win that game because, of course, West Ham have the Europa Conference League final to worry about. And uh, you can't imagine that Declan Rice will kick a ball in that game. You can't imagine Mikel Antonio will. Will Kurt Zuma be out there? Probably not. Um, really the spine of their team. And it gives you a great opportunity to go and get three points in front of your own fans. Will it be enough? That's the question mark. Because um, there's a feeling deep down, I think, that all three teams, I honestly believe that all of them being at home, could win their games this weekend. Ellen Road, we know what the atmosphere like is there as Leeds welcome Spurs. Goodison Park, uh, where Everton will welcome Bournemouth. You know, there is a good chance that it, that it's as you were and that all of the teams involved in the relegation battle um, pick up three points. I actually looked this up on a betting app because I thought, <laughs> what are the chances? What are the chances of this happening? And I was shocked to find out it's only seven to one with a certain bookmaker anyway. What's the odds on them all losing? Because I think that could just as easily happen. Mm. I think that's you make really good points about them being at home and the opposition they're playing. But you know, you reference West Ham there, and I watched. We're going to talk about Leeds in more detail, I'm sure. But I watched that game last weekend against um, West Ham Leeds, and I, you know, I was texting a friend of mine who's a big West Ham fan and going, "This is a disgrace. You're on the beach. Look at this. You absolutely pied it off. Too many beers <laughs> in the, you know, in the European celebrations." And then they just started knocking it about, playing with a bit of freedom because they can. And I think we could easily see that this weekend. Yes, we're talking about Bournemouth, they'll be on the beach. Yes, West Ham have got bigger priorities. Yes, Tottenham have been shambolic all season. But they've all still got good players who could turn up at any minute and and put in a good performance and play with a bit of freedom. Exactly, freedom. That's the thing. You know, Spurs aren't. Spurs are just in a kind of, I don't know. They've still the got mile. Harry Kane, but, though. Yeah, they have. But the other two, you do play with. You're kind of liberated. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, it's, it's, Injury it's game. Freedom. And West Ham, it's been impossible to nail down their best eleven. For the whole season, so you know, they suddenly have quite a quite a quite a lot of strength and depth. And even if they do make changes, it's not you know. I think it's impossible to call. The one thing I would say is that I'd be just gobsmacked if Everton are ever more than one goal ahead. You know that was they just can't score goals. And Bournemouth have also been a bit of a bogey team for them. I think they've lost four of the last six against them, often quite comprehensively. Um, yeah. And Bournemouth are, you know, Bournemouth have been liberated as well. So I I just think it could be one of them that. As the results change throughout the afternoon, it's never going to be plain sailing for any one of them. It might be that what they have to do changes as as the afternoon progresses. I'd also point out that Everton leads; they've only won one game in ten. Both of them, you know, we're, we're, we're expecting them to to go and do something that they found really, really, really difficult to do for for months now. And I think, in fact, I think Leicester have something that won one win in ten as well. So. I know we're looking at them all at home and thinking, you know, they should be able to do that. That's partly because they're three clubs that we perhaps didn't expect to be in relegation problem. We still, at the back of our minds, think they're better than they are. But, you know, for any of them to win at this point is an achievement because they just haven't been haven't been doing it. So they're all going to have to find something that they haven't shown for a while. It's the power of the home fans. That's what it is. That's what it is. Especially Ellen Road and Goodison Park. I think that might make the difference. When we come to the King Power, um, you guys can tell me exactly what you think it's like inside that stadium, whether it makes a difference to the players. But there was part of me that that watched the game against Newcastle and thought, "Ah, Leicester are actually going to need to be more progressive, more attacking, to make sure they beat West Ham. 
if they sit back and play exactly the same way and on the counter-attack, and I think they only had one shot on target, Castagna late on, you know, it could have been very, very different, who knows, but, you know, they, they are obviously going to have to open up a little bit more to, to kind of ensure that they win the game against West Ham, and if they do that, does that really open up the spaces for West Ham United to beat them? They're the, they're the, in many ways, that's the tricky dilemma that Dean Smith has going into this weekend. What would you do, Tom? I think he's got to back his attacking players. I think you you know he was set up at St James's Park as you said to to defend and get that point, which Johnny has said you know confidence boosting. Um, but he's got to go and try and win the game and get on the front foot because I think when you talk about fans and the home fans and the battle of the home fans, which essentially it is, it's like one of those kids' TV shows when you kind of get a part of the audience to scream the loudest to decide who wins. <laughs> You know, get all the home fans together. Who who makes the most yeah, noise yeah, stays yeah, in the yeah, Premier yeah. League. Um, let's not get into that conversation. Noiseometers, get yeah, them out. Get the noiseometers out. <laughs> but I, I do think that for for Leicester, I think that perhaps fits their narrative more. That there needs to be some early signs of encouragement, and that would be there when the kind of the stadium will get behind them. I think Everton fans, as a comparison. They experienced this last season. It's widely acknowledged that that's what kept them in the Premier League was that Goodison Park essentially kept them in the Premier League. And Leeds fans, again, similarly have, at Ellen Road, have been known for creating an atmosphere regardless. I'm not saying Leicester fans, the atmosphere is bad or that anything like that. I'm just saying that this is the first time they've been here and there might be a bit of a fear and trepidation around it. Give them some confidence with some early attacking promise. I think that is going to be the key to the both the combination of tactics and atmosphere to, to attack and get at West Ham a little bit I think it's just staying in it and knowing as I say I think there will be times during the game and during the afternoon where they'll it'll be they'll be informed what's happening elsewhere and that will change the, the way that they have to approach it so it's good it's not it's about making sure you still have a chance so it's not I don't know it's easy to say yeah go out and try and win the game but like if 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 they know that Everton are losing if they know that it's still you know nip and tuck it up there then they as long as they're still in the game and they have a chance of staying up in the last, I don't know, half an hour or whatever, then that's fine for them, I think. The the only thing I'd say with the kind of the attacking West Ham thing is that linking it back to watching that Leeds game is that in that first 20 minutes, Leeds were on top and creating chances. And part of the way that West Ham came back into it was that Leeds, whilst creating chances and having chances, still looked pretty naff. And so there's almost that sense of where West Ham thought, actually, this lot of rubbish. Let's have a, let's, let's knock it about here. We can stop, you know, playing intricate passes through midfield, breaking the lines doing little pirouettes in dangerous areas because we'll get away with it. So if you kind of assert your dominance a little bit, then you might might kind of persuade West Ham to think, actually, let's focus on the Europa Conference League. Everton against Bournemouth. Uh, for me, this is actually the toughest fixture for the sides in relegation battles. I know people say it was Spurs and Harry Kane, if he shows up, this, that and the other. Might be his final game in a Spurs shirt, who knows? But actually, as you pointed out, um, even though Bournemouth, I know, a lot of people are saying, oh, as soon as they guaranteed survival, they kind of been on the beach and whatnot. But again, you go out in your final game, you know, you're not going to see each other for a while or off on holiday, whatever it might be. Go out and enjoy yourself at Goodison Park. Try and relegate a team, which I think I said to you before, uh, might be competing in the relegation battle with you next season. So why not get one out of the way nice and early? Um, I, I do think Bournemouth will be very, very tricky for Everton this weekend and they haven't been great at home for whatever reason uh, although we talk about the Goodison Park um, you know special atmosphere and how it can drive the players on and it really seemed to do so last season when they stayed up and came from two down to to beat Palace at home this season under Sean Dyche they have not been good at home so um, how do they do it this weekend against Bournemouth because actually I think that will be 
out of the three stadiums, the most tense atmosphere. I, mean, I think Leeds might tend to be more angry um, because it just, I don't know, generally is. Sorry, Ellen Road fans, but it generally yeah. seems to be angry when things aren't, aren't going right. The King Power, I don't know, it, it doesn't necessarily have the same powerful effect as the other two grounds, even though the fans are great. Um, but also, the other two clubs have obviously been outside of the Premier League a lot more recently than Everton. And that's why I think their fans will be very, very tense. Um, and, and it might be the one where you can cut the atmosphere with a knife at, at Goodison Park. That's why I think it might not help the players uh, this weekend. I, I just can't see it being a bastion of positivity this weekend. So, um, uh, And I think Bournemouth are a very good side. Gary O'Neill's a very um, intelligent manager. That's the tough game. And I actually think we could see Everton go out of the Premier League this weekend. I don't want to be too hindsight about it. I think it could happen. But um, if it does, how much does that affect Everton Football Club? What will their future be? Who will their owners be? And when will they be back in the Premier League? I think there will be huge, huge question marks if Sean Dyche can't keep them up. Um, They're in obviously the best position out of the three. If it goes really badly, Johnny, what do you see next for the Toffees? Yeah, I think they're on they're on the precipice. I mean, they were on the precipice this time a year ago because, in some ways, the financial situation hasn't really changed. It's it, it's only worsened. There's the FFP case hanging over them as well. There's a new stadium um, that's kind of half finished and and has to be funded. There's still a big big gap there. There's um that for a long time there's been a a lack of clarity I think quite over um what Mashiri is 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 going to be able to do with that club moving forward you know the 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 close associations he had with Alisher Usmanov are 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 gone now but or rather Usmanov can't can't have any involvement now um so that that in itself has 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 created uncertainty at Everton and I, I'm 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 not sure of the figures but I, I i think they will have the most expensive wage bill of those three teams um they are in they're you know they're you know if you, if you just think the fact that they were in exactly this position a year ago this they've changed managers they've, they've they spent money and they've not got themselves one inch further forward that to me sums up the modern Everton, I'm afraid, and I, I agree with everything you say about the, the the dynamics at Goodison Park compared to the other teams. I think there will be more tension there. It can work either either way. It, it could inspire the players, but it could mean that that's the most pressured game because Everton fans are very very savvy and they know they know the stakes. They know what's what's um, what 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 could happen to their club if they go down. Um, I, I I do fear for them there, and, and I fear for them because also. You know, Calvert Lewin is out. Um, his although he hasn't scored since he he sort of came back in the team, he provides a reference point that that, that nobody else does. I think it's I think it's 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 different for them when he's not playing. Mopey hasn't scored in about six hundred games, so it's like uh, I think they they're in the best position going into the weekend, but I think they've got the most to lose, um, and I think the most pressure on them. Can they do it without Calvert Lewin? I mean, it's a huge blow. Um, one thing I was looking at is that uh, Bournemouth have conceded 21 goals from set plays. It's the most in the division. And one thing you can, can say about Everton under Sean Dyche is they're a big, big threat from set mm. plays. And we saw them mm. snaffle that um, 
vital goal against Wolves in the, what was it the 96th minute or something 99th yeah 99th so that's that's one you know I think they will make it they will try and make it kind of that sort of ugly game they will not, they will not want to engage with Bournemouth because Bournemouth have played some really nice football and they'll be content on sitting fairly low and hitting them on the counter and, and also trying to even free kicks around the halfway line launching them into the box getting the centre halves up and trying to create some chaos so that's the kind of game Everton will try and make it and they'll you know they'll not have any qualms about that either the one thing I would say is like Johnny's just outlined this has been coming it's exactly the same as being as true of Leeds mm. like they went to the last day last season as well and the only difference this year is that because it's in Everton's hands they're still like and this is huge it'd be half a century I think since they've gone since they've dropped out of the top flight this is like there's a kind of be a state of, state of frenzy there I think mm. whereas the Leeds I'd say there's almost a state of resignation like they need a lot to go right for them to, to stay up now and Leicester's point that you know it made it even worse for them um, and they kind of you know there's been very little impact from uh, under under uh, Sam Allardyce as well so although clearly it'll be raucous and they'll be getting behind their team I think they're they're hoping for a miracle whereas Everton it, it's still in their hands I don't know if Leeds go 1-0 down all hell could break loose at Ellen Road, to be perfectly honest. You know, we've seen fans come on before, rip their tickets up. You know, we've obviously Victor Rorter is now now gone, but you can imagine there being big protests and big noises made, you know, even if it's a 25th minute. And I think that would massively take away any positive energy from the team out on the field. But, you, you know, they are, they kind of do react, those Leeds fans, to everything that, that might go wrong. And they've been very unhappy with how the club's been run for a period of time. And obviously relegation would be the culmination of that. And um, they'll still have the nightmares of spending 16 years outside of the Premier League. But I do think they can win their match against Spurs. I know people may have raised an eyebrow to me saying Bournemouth were kind of the trickiest opponents. But Tottenham are awful. Absolutely awful. And most of those players (laughs) have probably been told that they're leaving. I don't see any real tactical plan from Ryan Mason who will constantly come out after a game and talk about the good 20 minutes that they had and kind of skate over the, the next 70 minutes. You know, they're not good enough. It all rests on Harry Kane, pretty much like it has rested all season on whether they get a positive result or not. If he's up for it, and if he truly feels it's his last game in a Spurs shot, he, he might score a hat-trick, to be perfectly honest. And Harry would... Kane is enough to beat this Leeds team. Yeah, he is, he is, he is. However, if he's not on it, and or if they come up with a plan to stop Harry Kane, then there isn't much else in that Spurs team that we've seen of late. That's the honest truth. Mm. I, did, I, I just wanted to go back to the point that you know a lot of you alluded to, and um, you talked about with Everton and the kind of the fear that comes with it. Do you think? And this is maybe a question more for Gregor, because I was asking people in the office um, on the editing desk before coming up to do the pod, and kind of you know, who do you think? Who do you think? I knew we were going to talk about it, and everyone said not Everton like they didn't say Everton would stay up they didn't say Leicester and Leeds would go down as you know as saying what's going to happen in the relegation that it won't be Everton do we think that's just a kind of longevity thing you know like Johnny touched on it and Hugh you mentioned it as well you know these guys this they've been around longer it, does that get into the players heads in a positive way or a negative way in like a kind of arrogance of like I oh, know it won't be us we're Everton we're at Goodison Park we'll make this happen and in the same way that you said about the resignation with Leeds, do you think that's in the players' heads as well? Because, you know, it's in the mind of Sam Allardyce a little bit in his comments after the game where he said, oh, if we've not got Bamford, we've got no chance. It has to, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, we we say about the big clubs going for big things, you know, this is Manchester United or this is Liverpool. All right, clearly to a far lesser extent, this is Everton and they don't go down. Like, 
minimal will stay in the Premier League. They flirted throughout all of our childhoods. Come on, let's be honest. Greg is not With convinced. relegation. You've got Everton Blue on with that jacket as well. <laughs> Listen, bottom six finishes pretty much. I think much. it's Sean Dyche. Just him. Yeah, I think you look at him and you see someone who has been here many times with Burnley. And I know you can say the same about Sam Allardyce, but he didn't have as much time to enact any sort of change, really. Um, and I think like they will have a, such a basic kind of well-drilled, disciplined approach to what they have to do in this game. And you know, although it's not always worked so far, we have seen that kind of... We've seen the players at least trying to, you know... Do what Sean Dyche is asking of them, and and the team has changed. They, their their approach to the game has changed. The way that they sit deep and they try and play in the counter. The problem is they've not really had anyone to hit on the counter. And as I say, I think they will just try and ugly this game out. And they know that they'll know exactly what is required of them uh, to get the win. And I, that's why I think I don't think there'll be any arrogance. I don't think there'll be any sort of you know overconfidence in any of the teams because it's on a knife edge. But and a lot of these players, you know, Everton have been in the mix before, but they've usually pulled away slightly before the last game of the season I'm not sure any of them have really experienced this before so um, it's going to be huge pressure I'll ask you all about your final day memories in a few moments time just if you were at a game that really shocked you and Gregor of course I'll ask you what it's like being a player and having information coming coming in from the touchline but I did want to quickly ask Johnny about Harry Kane because who knows what will happen this weekend who knows what will happen over the summer it could possibly be the last game in a Spurs shirt for a legend of the club, obviously their record goal scorer. Would he be going out in a disappointing way with a damp squib? Will he want to kind of stay just to to make sure it doesn't doesn't end like that? Maybe see his contract out and stay another year? Oh, I, this is the eternal Harry Kane internal and external dilemma, isn't it? Um, he loves the club. He's contributed so much. He's given so much. But I think it's been clear for a couple of years that that a big part of him uh, is ready to move on. And I think he faces exactly the same situation again with the same dynamic, which is it's going to come down to whether Daniel Levy is will allow him to go. That that's to 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 cut to the chase. That is what it comes down to. Um, He's got a year left on that contract. I think that what's happened in the managerial um, stakes with with Spurs has probably gone against Harry, if I might put it that way. Because if they had a if they had got a manager in place or someone coming in, if it was going to be Arnie Slot or if they got Nagelsmann ready, um, I think it would be easier to sell to the fans, okay, it's time for, for Harry to go. The fact that there's still so much uncertainty, I think, makes it harder for for Levy um, to, to, to to let him go at this point in time. Least of all, because if you're trying to bring in a man- manager, you might, you might want to at least give them the opportunity to try and convince Harry Kane to stay. Um, it'd be harder to, to attract a manager with to that squad without it. So I, I, I could see Levy wanting to at the very least kick the can down the road on on Harry and, and try and take that decision later in the summer. Um, but a couple of things. I mean, he, he has had one of his very best seasons for Tottenham. I think he scored a higher percentage of their goals than Haaland has scored of Man City's goals. I think than any player has scored of any team's goals in the Premier League, something like that this year. It's been an amazing season from him in a struggling team in many ways, one of his most impressive. And he's broken the England record, etc. at the same time. Um, so would he leave with any sort of 
disappointment were well, only disappointment in Spurs, but no, nobody could be in any way disappointed in his contribution to the football club or indeed in him wanting to leave. Um, but as I say, whatever he wants, I think is is secondary to what Daniel Levy's next move is. We're going to come to the situation, the managerial situation and lack of a change, lack of a future um, and lack of direction, really, uh, a little bit later on in the programme. So we will pick back up on Spurs. But um, just to the final day, memories. Gregor, it was funny that you highlighted, you know, the messages will be coming on in the Premier League. Um, the players will understand what's going on. So how does that affect you? Have you been in that situation before? And how does it affect you? Um, I, th- I have, yeah. I've also, the, the worst one I was in, look, it's in League One, it's not the Premier League, but it was uh, Rotherham United against MK Dons, but we were the two teams who, who could go down and we were a point ahead. So if we if we drew, we stayed up and we drew nil-nil. And my God, the last 15 minutes, 20 minutes of that was like, wow. Oh. <laughs> uh, you must have loved it. Oh my God, no, it was, it was awful. It was awful. The pressure's insane. You know, you get you can see the corner and you're just, it's all, it's naturally in the back of your mind, like, if I lose my man here or whatever, you're just yeah. doing everything in your power just to not make it you who makes a mistake that sends the club down. So, um, yeah, the pressure's huge. And I I had I think I half as well had a couple that were, that were when messages were coming on. I remember there's just this, your state changes in the game. It's yeah. like, you know you have to go for it. All, all the shackles are thrown off, so it it, it will. I, I'm almost certain that will happen. Like because I don't think Everton will be a club who's going to go and win. Like that that game against Brighton was a complete freak. I just I'd be absolutely gobsmacked if they win this game comfortably. I think yeah. it'll be close, which means it'll always be possible for the other teams to do something. Well, this is what I mean. Um, even if, for example, it's nil nil inside Ellen Road, you know, if one of the other teams scores, the fans will know that kind of change in, in in atmosphere will be apparent to the players as well and that information will get to them. And even though their game's level, it changes how you approach the match completely, maybe not completely, but slightly. So I do think it will affect things and I think it will be... There's a part of me that wants to say it's going to be very straightforward, but it never is. It never is. So even though I'm here saying they could You're all You're getting win. out of making a prediction here, Hugh. What? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, my prediction is that Leicester will win. That's right. my prediction. Everton will lose yeah. and go down um, because Leeds will beat Spurs. So who stays up? Leicester. Leicester stay up. You're saying Leicester. Yeah. Okay. Bold. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So we all. Uh, I, I, I can't bring myself to say Everton just because all my colleagues said Everton before I came up. So Joe, James, Hannah, you can all have Everton staying up. <laughs> um I am going to base it on the opposition that the teams are playing and I'm going to say Leeds are going to go off with some kind of miracle. Gregor? I think Everton will find the, the one they need. I've no idea what the other two will do. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, finally? I think Everton will just do it. Um, I think they and Leicester will win. I actually don't think Leeds will win. Yeah, they can't defend. Like that's oh, they're rubbish. They really are horrendous. They're one of the worst teams I've seen defensively in the Premier League for like half a decade. Q one nil short Sam Allardyce. It's true. It'd be you know it'd be a miracle to see them you know keep a clean shoot, you know keep talking them out basically. Yeah. And then uh, I just don't. I can't see Leeds doing it. I would like to say I'm just going for the contrarians vote here, just so that we've got balance. Whereas yeah. I actually meant it. You, you, you meant it. I can see it in his eyes, whereas I'm going, oh God, I'm going to have to pick Leeds, aren't I? For Christ's sake. 
Uh, we'll see how things pan out on the final day of the Premier League season. All the reaction, of course, on Monday, which means you should really hit that notification button. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Up next, we'll be talking Newcastle United, a little bit on Chelsea, a little bit on Spurs. Uh, and Gregor and I will quickly look ahead to the playoff final in the Championship. Stay with us on the game. Champions League football for Newcastle United for the first time in 20 years. And it's a massive achievement. They were in a relegation battle uh, last season, of course. It is a huge turnaround for the club since the new ownership of the Saudi investment group, the PIF. Um, And really, the question is, what is now next for Eddie Howe and their owners? Um, It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, we we talk about Mikel Arteta and Arsenal and kind of a trajectory and building the club. And fans would say, well, we, you know, we were in a title challenge this year. We were ahead of the curve. Clearly, Newcastle United have leapt ahead of the curve. You know, they didn't just get back into Europe. They got back into European football's elite competition for the first time in two decades without transforming their squad let's put it that way yes they've added lots of good talent and yes they have spent a decent wedge of money particularly for a club that was in the situation that they were in they bought in players of a higher quality who I think lots of journalists thought were were destined for Champions League clubs the likes of Botman the likes of Guimaraes of course Kieran Trippier as well the reality is they are now at a Champions League club and I think they will want to stay there so how do they make that happen and I think really this will lend itself to the FFP conversation as to how big Newcastle can go this summer. And there are reports that they will spend significantly this summer on the likes of James Madison from Leicester City, for example, but other key players in key areas. You know, I'd always thought, given the start that they'd have had and how well it's gone, that they would take things kind of slowly. But like I say, reading the reports, it seems like they will now accelerate this process because they're in the Champions League and that Champions League money will give them more room to spend, of course. Um, interestingly, there are stories this week around a new shirt sponsor. That is a, a company that is basically owned by the PIF. So it's going to be interesting to see whether Seller, I think is how you pronounce it, are allowed to sponsor the shirts of Newcastle United. That is a reported £30 million deal and whether that will break any of the Premier League's rules. But essentially, if they can do this and they continue to do this, and it seems like we will see more of the Saudi sponsors, much like we saw at Manchester City with their Abu Dhabi and United Arab Emirates-based sponsors, 
this will accelerate this summer. There will be a huge influx of money and that will give them the room to spend. So it's been nice to watch Eddie Howe, Newcastle, the Misfits, if you like, the, you know, the Miggy Almirons and the, the Joe Lintons, you know, Dan Burns defy all of our expectation, but it might be Neymar, Mbappe, etc., on the way at Newcastle, or at least some very high-quality players, Gregor, who shakes his head immediately. <laughs> um, it's a big leap from James Madison to Mbappe, isn't it? Yeah, but should they do it? For me, it's a no. For me, I think you continue on the slow and steady wins the race course. Should they change that that, that approach? They have to. They have to because if they want to be able to compete in the Champions League and they want to be able to compete on all, all the fronts they are now going to be competing on, they need uh, not only a stronger squad but a deeper squad. Um, so yeah, they will have to accelerate it and it is unexpected. Um, but I still think that the, the profile of the player shouldn't change. I think they still look around at some players who have got you know experience in the Premier League and you know a few key additions in in certain areas that are going to be expensive. They won't come cheap, but raise the the level and the standard and maybe have Champions League experience. So you know, I, but you're not talking about the superstars, and that's not in any way going to fit with what Eddie Howe has done so far or what he wants to do. I don't think so. I think we can consign that. Um, Will it be his choice? I think so. I think he's earned that. I think so. And I think the people who they've employed, like Dan Ashworth, um, I don't think that's really going to fit them, their kind of vision either, I don't think. I mean, perhaps, you know, the owners themselves would have that kind of idea, but I think when they take sound, if they have any sense, if they take soundings from the people who are actually at the coalface uh, and they, you know, tell them that's not a good idea, then they'll listen. Because part of this is, for the owners, surely building a brand. And as much as I'd buy a, you know, a, a posh watch because Dan Burns wearing it, I don't think many people would follow suit. You know, you do need some superstars, don't you? They can make their own. I think that's what they'll, that's what they'll be told. And they can you know, players go on their journey with Newcastle. Newcastle being on that stage is the real is the real brand of it. It's like Newcastle is the brand. Um, yeah, I'm sure they would have come come to, come into this with ideas of individuals and superstars in the future but uh, that's miles off um, and I don't think it fits with what the club want to do or what Eddie Howe wants to do How big is the achievement of Newcastle United reaching the top four because we saw the turnaround almost be instantaneous at the end of last season you know they were a club that we thought was destined for relegation and they stayed up comfortably and they built on it this season that in some ways we aren't surprised that they're a very good team, but we should still be kind of shocked that they're in the Champions League. Obviously, those of us that predicted them to finish in the top six. There we go. You know, there we go. Aren't as, surprised, aren't as surprised. But, um, but you know, I'm, I still raise an eyebrow to the fact that they finished in the top four. You know, I didn't see this coming. How big an achievement is it? I'm raising both eyebrows. Is that surprise or is that something else? I don't know. But I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely shocked. And I... The thing that I'm most both surprised and impressed by is something that I've mentioned before is the relentlessness and the continued intensity with the way in which they've played all season. Um, even after little setbacks and dips, they had a little setback um, and dip in form around the time that they lost the Carabao Cup final. And I fully expected them to maybe dip and drift off into Europa League places. The fact that they came back and arguably played better football mm-hmm. at times in some recent games in the past few weeks... That is a huge, huge um, achievement and 
Eddie Howe and his coaching team deserve huge credit for that because that's not easy, you know, seeing it every every level of the table, um, every level of football, keeping that intensity going when they started so strong. And you only need to look at Arsenal. Like that that's not that's not an easy thing to do. To the, your point about players and you know, I'd be fascinated to hear what Johnny thinks, but I was thinking about this before coming on and you know, it's not the same scenario, but I was thinking about West Ham and their achievements under David Moyes, obviously being firmly in the Team team Moisey camp. Uh, that's why I'm teeing up Johnny and hopefully he's going to come <laughs> in and back me up uh, as my only other member. But, uh, you know, they they had the thing of great finishes in the top, top six and challenging for the top four and those dreams. Then this season, they've had the kind of competing in the Europa uh, Conference League and, and enjoying that journey to the detriment of their league form at times let's be honest and had to marry that up with the expectations and then the fans Newcastle have to think you know they're not you know you're talking about a Neymar and Mbappe they're not in the Champions League to win the Champions League that's what they need to think what this is actually about is putting Newcastle on a pedestal as Gregor says making them a brand of attractive club to come and play for we're in the Champions League the real challenge actually is getting a squad together so that they can finish in the top four again Enjoy the group stage, enjoy the journey. You know, speaking to Martin Hardy, he says the city's just buzzing with like excitement. Oh my God, who are we going to get? That, that's, that's the vibe of this Champions League. It's, they want the big teams. They want the big teams. They want the big teams and maybe even uh, finish fourth and have a heroic draw in the new Camp. That, you know, that's what they want. Oh, whoa, whoa. They, they beat Barcelona last time. Come on. I know, but you know what I mean. Why, I, I'm saying drop their that, targets that, to, to that, that level? to me should be the planning. That to me should be the planning. Planning and yeah. building a squad that should challenge and finish in the top four again. And enjoy the Champions League ride. That that to me should be the thinking. And that, that, you know, the kind of West Ham comparison slightly made me think that as managing that expectation, managing a group of players, and deciding which route you're going to go down. Johnny, what's your view on it all? The size of the achievement and what Newcastle do next? Yeah, look, I like Tom's comparison about West Ham because I, I think this is all about how do you grow a football club at the right pace to make it sustainable and. What Eddie Howe's done, the, the single most impressive thing, um, and, it, and it is one of the managerial performances of the season, is he's managed to maintain maintain what Bournemouth had or create what Bournemouth had on a much bigger stage. And 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 that's not damning with faint praise. That's, that's actually giving a, a lot of praise because his Bournemouth punched above their weight. They got every single drop out of every single player. He had a really strong culture, um, he improved footballers and he had this intensity that we've talked about every, t- every time they played. Now, you can do that at a small club, but can you do that on a, in a bigger arena? And and through his coaching, his, his focus, his force of personality, Eddie's managed that. That's incredible. But the next stage is taking that with a bigger squad, because they'll need a bigger squad to compete in Europe, um, with perhaps... Um, bigger players if you can put it that way or, or or players with with greater reputations egos whatever different backgrounds coming from bigger clubs and and recreate it all over again and that's the next stage of, of, of management and at the same time the club's got to find a way to grow that squad without wrecking what's already there and i think we're all aware of the manchester city template and how that relates to newcastle and i in my mind, Eddie Howe's always been in the Mark Hughes role. And and if you think what happened to Mark Hughes, he took City to a certain point. Um, but when they tried to go to the next level, he was signing people like Adebayor and Kolo Turi and Rocky Santa Cruz. And it just didn't 
it didn't it didn't it didn't work. Um, he goes, Mancini comes in, and suddenly it's David Silva, and it's Yaya Toure, uh, and it's just and it's the start of that 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 building. And it's a manager who'd been in the Champions League before. He'd been on a bigger stage. He dealt with bigger players. But Eddie Howe's done better than Mark Hughes ever did at Man City. Um, and Eddie Howe's already shown he's more adaptable. So perhaps he can be the guy to grow. Um, it's what happens with, with recruitment, of course. Uh, and the other fact that I think is really interesting here is, like, Manchester City, all the focus from Abu Dhabi was on the football club. It was all on growing Abu Dhabi's sort of sporting reputation via one project, which was Man City. Um, whereas with this, if you look at what's happening with, with Saudi Arabia, they're putting masses of money now into their own domestic football. Ronaldo, the first arrival, trying to get Messi, looking at Hugo Lloris, looking at a lot of players now. Um, and it's I don't think everything's going to be funneled into Newcastle um, per se, so maybe how that affects things, I'm not quite sure. I just suspect it means that there's not going to be a pressure for um, the sort of superstar signings um, because Newcastle don't have to carry all of the brand and that might help them with recruitment. It might help Dan Ashworth continue to 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 recruit in a very sort of measured way. Um, but yeah, just, just to very briefly finish on what you said at the start, Hugh, what kind of achievement is this? This is definitely one of the achievements of the season, managerially and by a group of players. Yeah, it was interesting, actually. I, ch I tried to check out the Seller uh, website, um, and I know some people tried to, and there was kind of, you know, new website incoming, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite there. But there was a website called Seller Sport, and it is the same company, and it, it basically... Um, is a kind of brand that represents all of the sporting interests of Saudi Arabia. So not just football, but also the boxing that's been going on there and Formula One and UFC and all these other, you know, cricket and all these other sports that Saudi Arabia is trying to bring in. And I guess that is the kind of lead brand for all of the, the sporting interests of Saudi Arabia. I, again, I don't think this sponsorship will get over the line. Um, it will probably contravene the Premier League's rules, but that remains to be seen. And I guess, I guess this story this week about the sponsorship is something that we need to lead back to because I think that the Manchester City fans are now screaming at us, why aren't you talking about the ownership group like you spoke about our ownership group on the last podcast, like you spoke about our alleged breaches of financial fair play, you know, and what that might mean for Newcastle going forward in terms of how much money they can spend because, of course, they will want to stay within the rules as well. Um, you, you know, how should we view Newcastle's success in the light of... What has happened at Chelsea, um, the success and dominance built at Manchester City, what is now happening at Newcastle United, what could happen in the future, Johnny? Um, is this something to be exalted, to be um, eulogising about? Is it something that is good for English football? Um, a big, big question, obviously. Um, look, obviously, because me, yeah. I've been really uncomfortable <laughs> about... Um, about Saudi Arabia owning an English football club because of the Saudi regime, because of human rights, because of Khashoggi, because of of, of their foreign policy. Um, and I'm uncomfortable at Manchester City and Abu Dhabi for similar reasons. Not they're not exactly the same, but but similar reasons. That's me talking from a moral point of view. Um, 
but there are other points of view to look at this. The the point of view of should clubs be allowed to spend huge amounts of money? I'm more relaxed about that actually, simply because, um, and 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 our colleague Martin Samuels pointed this out eloquently in in many columns. This is what's always happened in football. You know, rich clubs have spent as much money as they can, and are we to quibble about the source of their riches? Um, I I would to say that it's okay to have. I don't know American venture capital riches, but you can't have riches from a a, a, a foreign uh, ownership uh, from a part of the world that we're less familiar with. I I, I would agree with Martin on that. To me, um, the FFP stuff and and whatever, I'm more relaxed about that. But from the moral point of view, that that is um, exactly where I'd be coming from. Am I am I comfortable about the idea that um, a lovely, wonderful club like Newcastle? Where being as I remember going as a student at St James's Park, um, a ground like that, fans like that could be kind of used to burnish the reputation of 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 a of a regime which has uh, committed human rights abuses. No, I don't like that at all. Uh, I would say it's slightly different. I got to disagree with Martin slightly on the kind of source of the money. It isn't really, you know, which bank account it comes from. I think for me, it is important that you know, English football and its community value, I'm not saying stays in English hands, but certainly doesn't have state involvement um, because it's so important to us football in this country. Um, It is probably, for most people, more than a religion. And so, um, you know, to have state involvement and however that pressure may be applied to our government, um, I think that's something that we need to kind of make sure that we don't, you know, we've seen... um, It's here, though. no, but we've we've seen the yeah I know it's here, but we've seen the fallout of what's happened at Chelsea and what happened with Roman Abramovich, the involvement of Russia, the Russian state, and and what happened with Ukraine um, in our country, not just in football, but in our country, the number of oligarchs that needed to be sanctioned, and what it basically showed us is, you know, we've kind of coveted foreign investment from Russia for a long time. A lot of these people have been very cosy with the people that are in our our government, and ultimately. I don't think that should be the case. I mean, it is the case, but I don't think that should be the case. And and I can't stop it completely. But can we stop it from being from from football being used in that way? I think we probably can. No one's saying money from Saudi Arabia shouldn't be allowed. No one's saying that money from Qatar shouldn't be allowed. Or, but should state involvement come with that money? And ultimately, it does. And again, we don't know how that soft power might be wielded. It might just be about using the presence of the Premier League globally to kind of enhance your 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 nation's brand. Like, we, we get it. It goes into hundreds of millions, if not billions of homes every single weekend. So we understand the power that the Premier League has. But in terms of, you know, what may be exerted on our own government, I think it is, it is a risky line. We do need to examine exactly where the money comes from for that reason. That's all I'd say. In a very long-winded way. As I do... Where should we move to next? Um, I, I think we'll skip Chelsea, but I, I would encourage everyone to go and read Tom Roddy's kind of deep dive into Todd Bowley stepping back from his roles uh, and responsibilities only slightly and devoting some more time to his other businesses because uh, it's a great read, um, just highlighting the kind of quality that's been brought in at Chelsea. What bite me next in terms of what, what Mauricio Pochettino needs to do? The reason I have to skip that is because basically since we've been talking, the news has come out about Arnie Slot and Tottenham Hotspur and the fire Nord boss will be staying 
in the Netherlands. Um, he says he's ruled himself out of it. Uh, Spurs reportedly couldn't agree the details of a buyout clause. And this this basically reminds us that something strange is happening at Tottenham Hotspur because a club as big as them should have been able to lure one of the many out of work. I mean, all right, Arnie Slot's in work, but if not one of the many high quality out of work managers into the club and certainly someone like Arnie Slot at Feyenoord for whom you, you would, and I mean this with all respect, the Tottenham job would represent a huge opportunity. Earlier on in the season, he was linked with the Leeds job, didn't take that. But the Tottenham job clearly a step up from from where he is now in terms of profile, in terms of budget, in terms of quality of player. And even he doesn't want to do it. So what is happening at Tottenham Hotspur and where do they go next? Because um, it, it's, you know, we spoke about Newcastle. It's kind of totally different. They haven't really got the money that they want to spend. They haven't got the manager in place. They're going in the wrong direction at this point in time. And it just doesn't look like an attractive place to be or go. And that is a huge issue for the club moving forward. So what next? Everyone's scratching their head pensively. Who wants to try and answer this one? I mean, you you talk about what's next, and you talk about the um, the shape that the club's in. And I, you know, it's something we've discussed before. And then you know, Tony Cascarino when he's on, and Gregor, you know, people who've been in the game far more closely than we all have all say, and oh, no, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the perception. If you get the chance to go to a big club, of course you go. But I do wonder whether there's an element where this season, with some of the chaos at clubs like Chelsea and Tottenham, are making top-level managers, people in slots position, you know, on the on the rise, on the up, make try to make cleverer decisions for their overall career trajectory. You know, look at Graham Potter and the position he's in now. I'm sure he'll get a good job next, but he is going to kind of have to start again um, in a similar way to maybe that Brendan Rodgers did when um, he left Liverpool. And... I do wonder whether there's an element of where, with Tottenham particularly, um, and Chelsea to a lesser extent, but you think, you look at it as a manager and think, why would you, as a, if you're a high-flying European manager, why would your next move be Tottenham? Because particularly, you know, we talked about Harry Kane earlier, the best player might be leaving this summer, could easily leave for free next summer. You look at that squad... I was speaking to Tony Cascarino for his column last weekend and he absolutely eviscerated it. And I kind of found myself thinking, yeah, I agree. None of your big name signings have come off. None of your medium signings have particularly come off. And you've not necessarily got, oh, my God, the, yeah, but the couple of players coming through really, really look good. So I do think there's an element there. I mean, Gregor, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me it doesn't matter. Tell me it's Tottenham, it's a massive club, it's an opportunity. I do wonder whether there's a bit of that going on. Tottenham will get a manager soon. Uh, but clearly it's been an Aye, ar- they might end up with me if they keep going <laughs> on that's the problem it's been an arduous process clearly um, and I, I, look I, I kind of agree with you if, you have, if you're if you someone who's not just kind of chasing the pounds um, there is a point where you're sitting down and with Daniel Levy and it's just Daniel Levy like, what, what else is, is Spurs just now mm. like and he, he's overseen all this kind of tumult in recent years and yeah there's huge potential yeah it's like it could potentially be, um, a, you know, a project that could be driven forward, and and there could be big changes behind the scenes. There could, you know, I'm sure there will be key appointments, like a sporting director, and recruitment will get a shake up. But it's all, it's all maybes. There's nothing. There's no certainty about what Spurs, Spurs' future looks like, and the manager's only one. The head coach is only just one little piece of that puzzle. So, I, I, I'm not that surprised that there are managers who are who are. Uh, Saying thanks, but no thanks. 
Johnny, final word on Spurs. Where are they heading now under Daniel Levy? Um, he, he's going to get hugely criticised. I've seen the, some of the reaction to the uh, Arnest Slot story today. Uh, fans basically saying, we're going to end up with Brendan Rodgers, aren't we? Um, I think they could do worse, to be perfectly honest. But, um, you know, they're kind of not enthused about where the club's going at the moment. I think they'd be... I think they'd be quite lucky to get Brendan Rodgers, if I'm being totally honest. Um, yeah, the, where, where's it going? Gregor, Gregor said it really well. The, it's just Daniel, Daniel Levy in a brilliant stadium at the moment. There aren't many other guarantees. That's why, going back to what I said earlier about Kane, I, I, I think the way the cards have fallen go against him a little bit because Levy might re, try to dig in to keep him because he is one of the the few really recognisable assets. But all the players going from the squad, you know, Perisic, Loris going, Son's had a dip. You're looking at um, very few players on the pitch that you think, great, I can build around him. Um, I think you've got you've got the, the existing top four. Liverpool will be really strong next year. Villa will be strong next year. Brighton will be strong next year. Brentford will still be good. Chelsea... Who knows? Let's be honest. But um, where are Tottenham going to realistically finish next year, unless they get a brilliant manager? Um, and who who's going to go there? I don't know. This could this, we're all saying, oh, they'll get somebody good, but this could be like the summer where they ended up with Nuno Espirito Santo, who um, was very much not the fans' choice, and 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 was a sort of bit of a consolation prize because they couldn't get other managers. So where's it going? I don't know. Terrific, to be perfectly honest. They've taken so long to find a new manager. Whoever comes now has got an asterisk beside their name. Like yeah. For some reason or another. Or another. Unless well, someone well, comes well, out well, of complete one, left field. One main reason, there was six choice. I mean, mm. come on. Well, yeah, but also there, there's a reason why there was six choice and everyone yeah. knows it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as I say, unless they they pull a, pull a name out of the hat that we don't know, um, you know, even if it was Graham Potter or someone, then there's a, there's a doubt. There's a reason why there's a doubt. And it may not always be fair, and it still might turn out to be a good appointment, but there will be some kind of discontent about it in the stands. Big, big work for Daniel Levy to do to kind of shape the club going forward. Um, yeah, they've got themselves in a highly difficult position, and who knows, maybe their new manager gets to the game at the weekend at Ellen Road to have a quick look over his team, and he's there to witness them beaten by Leeds on the final day of the season and those glorious scenes at Ellen Road. Who knows? Um, gentlemen, thank you very much for being with me. Tom Clark, you can stay if you, you want to or not. Johnny, same with you, but if you're leaving, thank you very much because all we got left after this is a quick look at the Championship playoff final. We'll have a quick word on the other two playoff finals ahead of us this weekend as well. But otherwise, thank you very much. Right, okay, let's uh, quickly look ahead to games at Wembley this weekend. Sadly, I will not be at the Coventry Luton game, but I will be at the other two. Um, and let's start Coventry Luton Championship playoff. That's the game on Saturday. First up at Wembley, they get the pretty pitch. Um, this one is virtually impossible to call. The games between both, both home and away, uh, were level in the season, nothing between Luton and Coventry. Both will be incredible stories. So come what may, we're going to get a great story coming into the Premier League. 
But um, it's going to be huge heartbreak for whoever doesn't go up in this game as well. Luton were there or thereabouts, almost made it last season, built on the great work of Nathan Jones under Rob Edwards. And Mark Robbins has been a mainstay through mainly downs at Coventry over the past five or six years. Would be a great reward for his loyalty um, for, to see him take the team into the Premier League. Can you call it? Absolutely not, can you? No. Um you said, never call anything. Though, so <laughs> yeah, that's no surprise. Eight predictions, yeah. Yeah, like I said in the last, last the last week, I thought that if Luton played Middlesbrough in the final, I would have fancied them more than playing against uh, Coventry for some bizarre reason. I think it's just because it it would have almost suited them to try and soak up, um, soak up some pressure and win on the you know yeah. win with a set piece or on the counter. That's what. But they kind of both want to. You know, they play. They're really aggressive. They both press, and they're like, you know, it's not just you know passive football, but they both are inherently kind of quite conservative, and they've got threats in sort of key areas. And Coventry's it's the counter, and, and Luton's at set places. They've scored sixteen goals a season from from set plays, and I think that could be it. I think it could be enough. I think these games are always decided by like a mistake or one moment, um, and they're really cagey affairs. And that's the other reason I thought if even Middlesbrough get to the final. You know how often do you see, even if a team is renowned for playing kind of expansive football, how often do you actually see that take place in a final in Wembley because of the pressure? So both of these teams are kind of suited for a cagey, narrow margin affair, yeah. and I think it might just fall on Luton's side because of, as I say, their set piece. They they could have scored five goals against Sunderland from set pieces. Yeah. Sunderland were poor defensively, missing missing defenders as they well. They were, but. I still think they, you know, they're a big team and that's a real strength. I think that could that could be the deciding factor. I almost look at it in the other way and say, yeah, look, like, think, I, like, yeah. it's a tale of two strikers ultimately. It's going to be Carlton Morris up against Victor Jokerez. Jokerez kind of won that battle, if you like, during the season. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, but with the space to exploit on the counter-attack at Wembley Stadium, and it is a big, big pitch, you kind of think, who's got it more? And if Jokerez plays anywhere near his maximum he's really going to stretch Luton if they can play the passes into the channels that he wants he's great creatively he's got so many assists this season I think up to double figures he's great at bringing his teammates into the game and obviously he's a powerhouse himself Morris more of a threat as a kind of forward at set pieces in particular great left foot and again he can stretch teams too but um you're right. Maybe, maybe, maybe those two cancel each other out, and it, it does come down to set pieces. Because I think you are right. It clearly lends itself in Luton's favour in in that regard. So, what do you think? The other thing I wonder is about the managers as well in terms of these games and this this level. Because Robbins has won the playoffs with Coventry. He's won a league with Coventry. I know Rob Edwards has had a success at Forest Green, and he's done brilliantly. He won the EFL um, Trophy as well. Yeah, Wembley. Yeah, absolutely. Like they've got experience, but I just wonder whether. You know, you talk about the fine margins and things, and you know, I've been to playoff finals as a fan uh, watching Lincoln, and you know, also as a, a journalist and kind of watching matches play out. And you talk about the fine margin; it also comes down to like errors quite a lot of the mm-hmm. time, little mistakes. And I just wonder whether the experience of Robbins might kind of impress on his team to just kind of keep it tight, do the simple things right, all that kind of all those kind of cliches. I'm not saying Rob Edwards won't do that, but he's just got that level of experience on mm-hmm. him. And he's also got a level of calm, I would imagine, that comes with having brought a team up from such low points to where he'll just be like, you know, just it, not the cliche of enjoy it. There'll be something slightly different to that, but there'll be a calmness that I'm sure he would exude and come, get into his players that maybe will make the difference. You know, 
I, I hope there aren't any mistakes, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were. And I wonder whether that might come from a slight element of added jitteriness for Luton rather than Coventry. Because Coventry, Coventry had just, you know, Luton had been there. Hugh, you mentioned it last season. You know, they kind of gone. Coventry have got like, the surprise package element. And sometimes that's a big factor in a playoff final as well. The, the word is they're calm. I just spoke to William Kelly, the captain, before we came on here. And that's the word. If you ask him what's what's Robin, one one question was put to him was what's Robin's got that we don't see, and he just said, "Calm, despite all the all the turmoil, all the you know playing in Birmingham and playing, you know, away from home at the start of the season. They played a game at Burton, um, you know, all the things that's been going on off, that have gone on off off the pitch uh, behind the scenes. He just like he said, he always brings it back to the work that they do inside that building that they're in." Uh, at training the way that they work Adi Vivash beside him who used to be a Chelsea um, academy coach for I think six or seven years brought through helped bring through Tammy Abraham Mason Mount loads of players like that fits perfectly with the model they've got the players that they signed and you know it's all about development they always just brought it back to focusing on what we're doing inside the building and he was always completely unflustered by it all so I think you know that there's merits in that. There's mer- no, there's merits I've in that argument. Him. There are merits to that argument. Absolutely. But ultimately, we're no further ahead. It's impossible <laughs> to call. It would be incredible. Uh, Although they had that. ten points, they finished ten points higher above them. We have to say that in the league. Luton finished ten points yeah. higher above them than Coventry. Mm. It goes out the window, doesn't it? Mm. Like head to head, there was nothing between them. No. So you know, it's going to be a very, very tough final. Let's get our biases out. I'm not going to ask you who you think you're going to win. Who would you rather see in the Premier League? Who's a better story? Coventry uh, or Luton come on there's nothing uh, in that either yeah, yeah there's nothing in that either but I'm going to go for Coventry uh, my dad went to uni there and I had a very 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 funny away day there where I went all the way there with my dad to watch Lincoln and the game got called off about half an hour before oh. and we had a little wander around Coventry had a nice little pub lunch lovely um, so I'm, <laughs> Good going, I'm going Coventry yeah yeah okay I'm a big go- fan of 24 hours in police custody so <laughs> yeah. I'm going for Luton <laughs> I'd go for Coventry for their fans because there's no group of fans who have been through more than mm. Coventry's. Blackpool would run them close, but I think Coventry's fans have been through more than any of the. You know, they've just not gone to watch the team because they weren't playing in their own city. Yeah. So for them, I would say them. But I also think that Luton are the have been the best run club in the country for about a decade. So right. I think there are two groups, two really good reasons yeah. as well. There's still oh, nothing in on it. The fence. <laughs> yeah, Come yeah, on, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Lots of trips to either Luton or Coventry for Gregor Robertson <laughs> next season. Um, Barnsley against Sheffield Wednesday is the League One playoff final uh, on Monday, and obviously, it's it's very difficult to call because I think, firstly, they're two very good sides. I get it. I think Sheffield Wednesday finished an absolute. I mean, a country mile would be an understatement ahead of Barnsley in terms of the points that they accrued this season. But obviously, it's a bit of a derby. Michael Duff's side have been very, very good at times during the season. Of course, Sheffield Wednesday are off the back of that incredible comeback. They were 4-0 down in the first leg of their semi-final. They won the second leg 5-1 after extra time, won it on penalties. So really, my question is over the emotional energy that was expended to be able just to get themselves to Wembley. Will it count against them in the final, do you think? I I thought that myself um, before the show and um, when you were kind of teeing up that question. And I, I wonder whether the... It would it would be yes for anyone else other than this Sheffield Wednesday group managed by Darren Moore. I think some of the qualities that we talked about with Robbins maybe are present in that group. Um, they've got an incredibly experienced squad. Um, you know, David Stockdale, who's a friend of the podcast, of course, 
you know, a lot's been written about how he's not even been in the team, but the kind of, uh, you've seen clips on social media of him kind of jumping and celebrating with that group of players. Got someone like Barry Bannon in the team who will just kind of, if he can impress on the game, his kind of class and control, that could be a big factor. But I mean, I would. Ju- I just quickly want to say on Sheffield Wednesday, they are the embodiment of the playoff frenzy that grips this country, aren't they? In terms of the excitement that comes, uh, I was downstairs making a cup of tea when I got into the office this morning, and Anna, who works on our engagement team, who I've had many, many, many meetings with, but I've never had a conversation about football with, was stood next to me and she said, "Oh, by the way, I'm so excited for the Sheffield Wednesday game this weekend." And I went, "What?" She's like, well, my husband and uh, my son are going to the game and that's all they've been talking about. I'm just completely consumed. I was watching the semi-final and I was a bag of nerves. I can't wait. But this is this is why it's so great, isn't it? This is why it gets everyone because mm. it just hooks you in, whether you're a neutral or whether you've got some kind of connection. This is what hooks you in. And I just wonder whether rather than weighing them down, that kind of weight of momentum actually might be the case for Sheffield Wednesday. Maybe it'll be enough to drag them over the line. You saw the kind of... Uh... You know, as you said, there was there was footage from the changing room afterwards. Darren Moore was saying, "I'm so proud of you all," yeah. and then and then Barry Bannon fought, you know, fired yeah. back, said, "No, we're we're proud of you." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, there is still, you know, they've been through quite a lot in the last few weeks, uh, and they're the, you know, they're the better team, like in terms of the points of accrued. I know you're saying that doesn't matter they, on the they've day. They've been terrible on the towards perform, the end of the season. If they perform how they can, it's a bigger if than, big it, than it was, you know, sort of three months ago. It's a big if at this point. If Sheffield Wednesday are at their best, because they haven't been so often, well, obviously yeah, faltered towards the end too. Yeah, the yeah, thing it makes true. me similar, I think, is Notts County and the National League playoffs, of where they were so far ahead, so far beyond, and they just found this way of winning. You know, yeah, even yeah. afterwards, the manager was like, "I don't know how the hell we've done that." I could see a similar story for Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I went, I went to a wedding in Sheffield at the weekend, and I was <laughs> sitting opposite a couple having a chat. Uh, they were on their way to Wembley, Barnsley season ticket holders, but the kids support Sheffield Wednesday. Amazing. So the family's absolutely divided. Yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> over this one. But there you go. Uh, good luck to both sides in that one. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a few families that have split loyalties ahead of that one. Um, and talking of split loyalties, I've got to just quickly say, spare a thought for Ben Barkley, uh, <laughs> who will be missing. Uh, he's on loan at Carlisle and he will be missing the League Two playoff final uh, because it's against his parent club, Stockport County. Um, but ultimately, this is a huge game and it's a huge game for both clubs, particularly, I, I want to say particularly Stockport, who've poured in a lot of investment to make sure that they've come back into the Football League and, and maybe fly up the EFL pyramid as well. Um, huge investment at that club. They've kind of galvanised the local community a lot over the last couple of years. Um, some expats, if I can call them, call them that as well, people who've moved up to the area to be closer to Manchester who maybe aren't locals, um, kind of gravitating towards the side as well, given their recent success. And they'll want to keep this going, but obviously it would be huge for Carlisle as well. What do you think? Oh, it's, it's this this so so tough to call. I mean, I'm completely biased towards Stockport. I've got to say, I should declare that in yeah. advance. Uh, I've had some miserable away days as a Lincoln fan at Carlisle, so that counts against <laughs> them. And I grew up in Salford, and lots of lots of friends and fr- um, family friends support Stockport, um, and lots of colleagues that I've worked with as well. So I'm completely biased t- towards them. Um, I would say it'd be fascinating as a narrative Stockport to do it from League Two, having not only beaten Salford but kind of come up and gone past them. So, you know, for that area in the northwest where you've got these two clubs um, in an area dominated by the Manchester clubs, of course, in the Premier League, but to have these two teams, because Salford and Stockport in that area are the two kind of either side of Manchester. And, you know, if you're from Salford, you're a Man United fan. 
and if you're from Stockport, you're a Man City fan. That's kind of what the, mm. the what the um, general lay of the land is. But now to have these two teams who are in the football league with big dreams, big aspirations, I think for both areas, it's big. It's a big moment, and so for Stockport to come up uh, would be a great story. So I'm completely biased towards them. Sorry, Carlisle. Huge potential of Stockport as well. I mean, very wealthy owner, Mark Stott, local businessman. Um, Dave Challoner, someone who's done really, you know, impressive work in, in non-league, and this is kind of. Well, he brought Hartlepool up. This, he dropped back into, and then brought Stockport up, and now he's. He could take them to the championship, and Stockport could hold their own in the championship, both kind of financially and in terms of the, the size and stature of the club. Um, and they've been, they've done it really smartly. Although they've had investment, they've, you know, they hired, they hired uh, people from Manchester City. They're they're using Manchester City's former training ground to kind of, you know, it's a good place to be as, as a as a player in League Two. Um, and as I say, I think if it's not this season, they'll probably be. Uh, moving up the leagues very soon anyway Is it one of those Carlisle ran it close in terms of automatic promotion didn't get there in the end but um, is it one of those like reflecting on Sheffield Wednesdays maybe being favourites do, do you think that Carlisle will be the favourites going into this they, they they could they could be and they could you know a lot of the narrative and a lot of the media attention which we are all guilty of and I've just proved that is, the, is, is on Stockport yeah. because of the tail because of the, the rise up um, the leagues uh, because of the former glories, you know, I remember Brett Angel back in the day and uh, the second tier, you know, banging in the goals. Like, the, a lot of the focus is on uh, Stockport, and it's whether they enjoy that and embrace it, like I suggested that Sheffield Wednesday will, um, and be able to cope with that added pressure, or whether it will get too much for them, and that maybe Carlisle, who'd been pretty consistent um, this season, can just find the way to get one more win. Good story for Paul Simpson, too. I mean, mm. a bit of a renaissance, he kind of. It was a manager earlier in his career and then he's been uh, England under-20 coach. He was assistant at Bristol City. So it was a good kind of five-year period or longer even without him being a manager and then he, he went, went to Carlisle and they were heading towards relegation and he's turned it around. So, yeah, it'd be a great story for both of them. It's been it's been so close. There's no there's not really... Although you're saying, you know, Carlisle were, were fighting for automatic throughout the season but you look at the way the table finished there was like still like three or four teams who could have made it into yeah, automatic yeah, until yeah. the last week so there's nothing between them in the league so again tough one to call <laughs> I, I, I'd actually predict the only prediction that I will make is two of these are going to a penalty shootout two of the three no I hope that, not that's my prediction no. for the weekend no, I, hope I won't not. tell you which but I definitely think two of them are no, going to a penalty no shootout. No mistakes, no penalties, just pure, yeah. as much joy as possible, please. You know, we know the playoffs is all about drama, so we'll react to that on Monday, as well as the end of the Premier League season. I'm kind of sad to say it now. Um, it's been one of the best, and it's not going to stop here, I'm sure. So uh, be with us on Monday for all of the fallout uh, from the end of the Premier League season. We'll see you then. In the meantime, make sure you pick up a paper, get all the previews ahead of the weekend and all the great reaction in the Sunday Times as well. You can download the Times app wherever you get your apps from and pick up the game. That's out on a Monday. You can subscribe online at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.